Pesach is the night of Hallel. So I figured this would be a good opportunity for us to study some of Hallel. As a matter of fact, we're going to do the first parak of Hallel tonight, which leaves room for some introductory material because it's a fairly straightforward parak to teach. And next week we'll study B'Tseit Yisrael Mitzrayim, which is far more complex. Uh, and as you know, um, the first two prakim of what we call Hallel um, are the ones that are recited as part of Magid. Uh, there's a machloka, Bitsham Bidhila. Bitsham says you only read the first parak, and Bidhil says you read Ad Lamaino Mayim, and that's what we do. Uh, so it's appropriate that we're really covering the the uh part of hollow that's read in um in in this in the in the Magid section and before the meal. Um by the way, when I say hollow, what am I referring to? The word hollow as a reference to series of passages. What am I referring to? So the answer is actually three different things. There are three different Hallels. Um, I'll show you the one that you are least likely to think of as Hallel, but it's called Hallel. And it is a Gemara in Shabbat here in Source 3. Amar Rabbi Yosei, says, I would like to be among, considered among those, meaning I'd like to get the same reward as those who read Hallel every day. And the Gemara counters this. Somebody reads Hallel every day is like cursing God, which is an extreme statement. But what it seems to mean, and this is the way the Rav explained it, is that if you um, express that kind of extreme and amazing praise for God on a daily basis, it becomes mundane, becomes humdrum, has to be saved for special times. So what did Rabbi Yossi mean when he said, I would like to be reckoned among those who praise God with hallel every day? And this is, by the way, the only place in Chazal where that, or at least in the Gemayin Bavli, where that phrase shows up. me literally means verses of praise. And what it means, you know, verses of song. And what he's referring to, it's Machlok Rishonim, is referring to uh, chapter 145, 148, 150, basically what we call Ashrei and the one with the heavens and the earth and the one with the instruments, or is it like Rashi, that's the Rambam, that's the Rashi, or like Rambam and the Riff, is it 145 through 150, which is what Arminag is, is to read the last six chapters of Tehillim. That's called Psuket Zimrab. That's called Halel Shabachol Yom. There is another Halel that we refer to, which is called Halel Hagadol, and it actually brings us far closer home because in the sugya, in the 10th book of Psachim, um, where the Mishnah said, Revi'i Gomer Alav et Hallel, the Brita says, Gomer Alav et Hallel, Gomer Hallel Hagadol. You can see it in source two here. Divrei Rabbi Tarfon. Biyashomrim Hashem Roi So some people say that instead of Hallel Hagadol, whatever that is, we don't know what it means, uh, that you say, Mizmor um, the David, the one that we're familiar with uh, from Sudash Lashit, etc. Now, Mehechan Halal Agadol, what is included in Halal Agadol? Rabbi Yudah Omer, Mihodu Ad Naharot Bavel, which means that it's chapter 136, and it's 26 lines of Tehillim that each end with Kile Olam Chasdo. Are you familiar with it? Because we say it also in our Psuket Zimra on Shabbat and Yom Tov. He says that we include in that some of the previous uh, chapters, Shura Malot, 
could either be all of Shramalot, which is 15 chapters, plus 135, which is and then or it could just be the last one, we're not sure. Which means part of the previous parak. Which means, by the way, we all agree that 136 is halal agadol. Maybe 136 plus, right? By the way, they all reference al Pavel because al Pavel is the beginning of the next parak, 137. All right. Why is this this passage of 26 lines that each ends with Kilo Olam Chasdol? Why is it called halal hagadol? Biochan says the following Baruch is sitting in the highest places of the universe and feeding the lowly. In other words, what's Halel Hagadol? And this fits this famous passage of Yochanan here in source four, which is that in every place in Tanakh, not every place, but in a place in Tanakh, both in Torah and Nevim and Tuvim, where God's transcendence and God's awesomeness is described, right next to it is his humility. You know, God is described as high and mighty, and he feeds the poor. One example we have here in the Torah is, and the very next line is, he takes care of the orphans and the widows. In other words, the greatness of God is that in spite of, or perhaps as a result of God's transcendence, God also is immanent and takes care of the lowly, imon, achivet, sarat, etc. So we have two different things called halel by Chazal. One is what we call psuket zimra, the daily praise, in which we praise God for regular daily miracles, the miracle of rain and the miracle of our ability to get up in the morning and the miracle of how the, the heavens work and how the earth works, everything like clockwork. And um, and and so so on and so forth, and then there is Halel Hagadol, which is recited at certain times, including at the Seder, as we saw. But there's a third Halel, which is when we say Halel, what that's what we mean. Chazal referred to it as Halel Mitzrayim. That's so when we talk about Halel, we're talking about Halel Mitzrayim, which is chapters one thirteen through one eighteen um, uh, consecutive, and uh, and that's what we refer to. The Gemara asks an interesting question. Now, if you were to come up to an average person on the street and say, who composed Hallel? They would probably say Shlomo Karlbach. But if you were to ask him who composed the text of Hallel, they'd say, where's it from? You'd say Tehillim. And the minute before, you couldn't even tell them what chapter. They would immediately say David HaMelech. Uh, the answer is far more nuanced. Because, of course, the default answer people give to composition of any Tehillim is David HaMelech. However, Chazal are of a different opinion. Chazal famously contend that Tehillim is an anthology. And it was composed by lots of different people along the way. And that either David or, based on Midrash Shirashirim Rabbah and Kohelet Rabbah, Ezra was the final compiler to put all of these together. But an interesting sugya that we have in Psachim asks the question, who wrote Hallel? And take a look at the answer and you'll see who's missing from this. Halel zem mi amaro. So on the second line here. Nevi'im shebeinehem, meaning the Nevi'im among B'nai Yisrael who left Egypt. Tiknu lahem Yisrael, shu omrino to al kol They set it up to have a frequent, meaning a regular praise for God that people would say. 
every once in a while. And whenever they're in trouble, when they're saved, they'll say it for their Geulah. So therefore, we say Halal on Pesach and on Shavuot and on Sukkot as Kol Perak Perak. And we say Halal on Hanukkah because we were saved. And those many of us say Halal on Yom Atzvot and on Yom Yishalayim because, again, we were in trouble and we were saved. Okay. Now, Halal Zeh Mi Amaro. The question is, who composed it? Now, we already had one answer. We're going to have now a different answer, a whole slew of answers. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Elazar ben Omer, he says, my son, Elazar ben Yossi says, Moshe Yisrael Amaru b'Shah Shalom Yam. He says, Hala was composed by B'nai Yisrael and Moshe when they left the Yam. So, Shirat Yam is in the Torah, and Hala is in Tilim. Chalukin alav chavirav lomar shedavid Amaro. And my son's colleagues disagree, and they say David said it. I think he's right. What's his argument? And this is, by the way, like that old joke we had when we were kids. How do you know from the, from the Torah that you have to wear a yarmulke? You think Yaakov would walk out without a yarmulke? Right? So of course, that means nothing. But here, it's an interesting point. Can you imagine B'nai Yisrael shaking lulav without halal? Can you imagine Be'i Yisrael shechting the Pesach without Hallel? And by the way, that means that we're going back to Mitzrayim, which means that there are there, he's arguing on behalf of his son that Hallel was composed in Mitzrayim or by the generation that left Mitzrayim to be said when they shechted, said the second Pesach, the first year out. Possibly. He said that is it possible that we could be saying that we could be composing halal at a time like that? So Tanu Rabbanan Halal Zem Now we have a third brayta, and again, notice who's missing. Who composed halal? Now, interesting. This brayta picks up in halal on not the celebratory part, but the anguish part of saying we were in trouble and God saved us. Rebbe Liazer, I know. On the next line is let's eat. I know. Rebbe Liazer Omer. They said it not when they crossed the sea, but when they were standing at the sea and it was not yet split. Don't do it for us, do it for you. And now we have a line from Yeshayahu. I will indeed do it for my own sake. Now I'll just quickly go through. Yehuda says it was Yoshua and Am Yisrael when they were going to war against Malchai Kanan. They were in trouble. They said, Hashem, please do it for, for you. Rabbi says it was Dvorah Barak against Sisra. Rabbi says it was Chizkiyahu and his entourage when Sancheri was threatening Yerushalayim. Rabbi Kiva says it was Hanani Mishav Azariah. I want you to see how late this is. It was Hanani Mishav Azariah when they were about to be thrown into the fiery pit by Nebuchadnezzar. And Rabbi Yosef Lili says, Mordechai and Esther in Shushan, when they were in trouble, said, Lolanu Hashem Lolanu, and Hashem said, Lamani, Lamani Yaseh, and they were saved. Which means, by the way, we're now seeing an opinion that Halal was composed, or those chapters of Tilim were composed as late as by Cheney times. The Chachamim Omrim, and this goes back to the first opinion we saw, Nevi'im Shebeinayan, Tignulam Yisrael Shu Omrimoto al Koperak, Koperak, Val Koltsar, Vatsarash, Shalatavah, Leim Yisrael, it was established by Nevim Shemineim, which seems to mean among the people of Mitzrayim. But they notice in this list, the one person who's not suggested as an author is David. 
Uh, the Bnei Israel should say this at certain junctures of the year and whenever they're in trouble and they're saved. And that's the way that, uh, that, that the the goes with the composition of Hala, which means who wrote our parak? A lot of possibilities. A lot of possibilities here. Right? But with that introduction and the notion that the Hallel is supposed to be said for um, either I'll call Paraku Parak a seasonal opportunity to praise God from time to time, or I'll call Tsaravit Sarah. Whenever we're in trouble and we're saved, we say it for our salvation. Uh, now, I'm going to ask you the question what is Hallel on Pesach morning? The answer is that's I'll call Paraku Parak. That's part of the regal. Well, what's halal on Pesach night? Is halal on Pesach night al koregel al koperek Is it the halal of a few times a year praising God, or is it halal of al kol tsaravet And another question I want to leave you with, which we're not going to touch today, is why do we split the halal at the seder? We say two prakim, and then we have the meal, and after the meal we say the rest. So I'm going to leave those for now, because I also do want to get to our parak. And make sure that we study it and understand it. This is the parak right in front of us. I'll make it a little smaller so you can see the whole thing. There you go. Now, whenever we're studying, and we haven't studied a parak of Tehillim in a long time together. Whenever you study a parak of Tehillim, you have to ask three questions, and in many cases, four questions. The first question you have to ask is, what do the words mean? What do the words mean? You have to make sure you know what all the words are. The second thing is, what is the structure of the song? Remember, Tehillim is all song. It's all Shira. And Shira in Tanakh, just like poetry in any society, is made up of a particular form. And the form in many different kinds of English poetry, there's different kind of forms that we have. The form of Shira in Tanakh built on stanzas. There are different stanzas that exist. We have to identify the stanzas and the relationship between those stanzas. The third goal that we have, and I know those both sound quite pedantic, but they'll lead us to the third goal, which is the real ultimate goal, which is, what's the message? You're saying Tehillim, Zog and Tehillim. But what's the message? What are you communicating? And as I said, in many cases, there's a fourth question that has to be asked, which is, What's the relevance of that parak to the occasion that you're saying it? Whether it's daily in tefillah, whether it's a parak that you say when you bring the Sefer Torah around Shabbat morning, Mizmor the David, or Friday night, whether it's a parak that you say at Shalom Sudas, Mizmor the David, what is the propriety of saying that parak at that, at that opportune moment? So then we're going to try to address all four of those right here. We'll start with the beginning. Now, as you notice, the parak starts and ends with the same word, and I want you to see how I've laid it out on the page. The word hallelujah, Chachamim never considered to be really part of the parak. It's part of the parak textually. But for purposes of analysis, it's what we call a superscription, a koteret. And the word hallelujah at the end serves the same function as a koda word. And Chazal even observed that any parsha that David was really in love with he began and ended with the same word. The example they give is with Ashrei, chapter 1 and chapter 2 being one chapter. Tosfot on the spot there, and Brachot says, is true with other words, 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you see that in Sukkot Zimra. All five of the chapters following Ashrei all start and end with the word hallelujah. Uh, Barchin Afshi has the same thing in Parakuf Gimel, Parakuf Dalit. Um, the same kind of thing of beginning and ending. We call that an inclusio. So we're going to focus our energies on the middle section, which is the meaning the, the rest of the text. I'm going to make it bigger now so we can look line by line. But it means that the entire thing is framed with the word hallelujah. So what does hallelujah mean? It's actually two words put together, a big machloket in the Gvaram Sachim, whether it should be guarded halakhically as one word or two. But hallelujah means you give praise. It's a directive from an inspiring speaker or leader to tell other people hallelujah. You all praise Hashem. Okay, so now... Let's go through it, make sure we know all the words. Hallelujah. What does that mean? That means that the person who's leading this is invoking praise from servants of God. And very famously, the Gemara says, In other words, this is a group of people who are celebrating the fact that they are free to be slaves to Hashem. That they are not enslaved to anybody else, and they're purely enslaved to Hashem. Simple shot, of course, is that this is taking place, like all Pirkei Tilim, in the Mikdash. And the leader, probably a Levi, is turning to the entourage and saying, all of you who are Avdei Hashem, praise Hashem. Hallelujah at Shem Adonai. Praise Shem Hashem. Now, before we go any further in the Perak, you take a look. There's a total of nine Psukim. It's not very long. If you look through it, you will find, when we talk about stanzas, that it's very easy to identify the first stanza. Because if you look through the, at the first pasuk, you will find that it ends with Shem Hashem. You look at the next pasuk and you see it's about Shem Hashem. And you find that the third stanza, stanza ends with Shem Hashem. Okay, Shem Hashem is something that we would expect to find a lot in Tanakh. We actually don't. We'd expect to find it a lot in Tehillim. We don't. It exists, but it's not not so frequent. But to find it in three psukim in a row is highly rare. Very unusual. And what's more interesting is it does not show up again in the whole parak. Which leads me to propose that the first three psukim are a unit. And we'll call that unit Shem Hashem. All right, let's keep that in mind. We'll take a look later at a layout of the, of the parak. So what's the what's the next line? Yehi Shem Adonai Mevorach. May Hashem's name be blessed. May Atah Ad Olam. From now and forever. Remember, Olam in Tanakh is about time, not place. May Atah Ad Olam from now until forever. Mimizrach Shemesh Ad Mehulal Shem Adonai. Literally, from the rising of the sun or the sparkling of the sun until it enters, meaning till it sets, God's name is praised. Now, by the way, there's two words here that play back and forth, and it's mivorach and mehulal. They're not the same word, and they play at the beginning of Tehillim Kuf Memhei, which is Aromim Chaluhayim Melech Varachashim Chalulam Ved, Bechol Yom Arachekah Varlashim Chalulam, Lahalel and Levarech play back and forth. One is to praise God, which is to declare how transcendent and mighty God is, and one is to bless God, which is to recognize and acknowledge God's presence in our lives, God's gifts that he gives to us. Those are two sort of 
observations that are stand in tension of sorts. Now, who are saying lines two and three? I'd like to propose that it's Avdei Hashem are saying it, meaning the leader turns to them and says, and they answer. They do what they're supposed to do. They praise God. As a matter of fact, it's even possible that we're talking about an antiphonal response where one group of Levim says, and the other group says, or group A says, and the other group says, back and forth, possibly. But either way, we understand what the words mean and the potential here for kind of the scenario of how it's being, how it's being presented. We then continue, and, and let's see if you can catch the theme, because we're no longer talking about Shem Hashem. We're talking about Hashem himself. Ram al-kol goyim Adonai. Ram meaning high and lofty, above all the nations. Allah shamayim kivodo. Allah shamayim, does it mean above the heavens or on top of the heavens, or does it mean controlling the heavens, like Radak says? But God is above and above. Mi kadonai Eloheinu. Now, me is, as a rhetorical question, is like saying ain as a declarative. We have that in Davening. Ain keloheinu, and then me keloheinu. Right? The same thing. Who is like Hashem our God? Meaning none is like Hashem our God. Hamagbihi lashavet. Now, Hamagbihi introduces us to a poetic form that we're going to see a lot of in the next few psukim, which is called the enclitic yud. It's the letter yud at the end of a word, which is not part of the word at all. It's there for poetry and for meter. Because the critical consideration in biblical poetry is not rhyming. So biblical poetry does not rhyme, but rather meter. Even balanced phrases. means he goes up to sit down. As or he rises up to sit and sitting, we assume, on his heavenly throne. And then hamashpili lirot. Mashpil means to go down. He comes down to look, in the heavens and earth, which means from wherever God is, he is has to look down to see the heavens. That's how high he is. Beautiful. Now notice, we continue with this enclitic yud, so read it as he lifts up the dal. The dal is the, is the very needy uh, the the indigent one, he lifts him up from the dirt. Me ashpot yarim avyon. Ashpot means the dung pile. He lifts up the avyon parallel to dal. He lifts up he, he lifts him up from the dung pile. Lohoshiv im nedivim. Lohoshiv im nedivim. Now again, read it as lohoshiv, meaning to have him sit. But again, the yod is poetic. Im nedivamo. To have him sit with princes, the princes of his people. In other words, God picks up the poor, the, the, the lowly one, and picks him up to sit with the princes of his people. Moshivi akaratabayit, again, Moshiv, he takes the akaratabayit, which seems to mean in this case, not the way we akaratabayit today, but it means the barren woman of the house. Aim habanim smecha, he turns her into. The, the joyous mother of children, hallelujah. There we go. Now, if we look at the last six psukim, we also see two separate themes. Notice that in 
the pasuk that starts with Mika Shemalokeinu are all descriptions of God's transcendence. God is above. He's so high that he has to look down to see the heavens. But the next three, the last three pasukim of the parak are all not about what God is, but about what God does. Not about God's transcendence and separation from the world, but the opposite of God's immanence in the world, of what the Kabbalists like to call, instead of makif kol almin, or sovev kol almin, they refer to as memalei kol almin. He fills the world, and he's involved in the world, and he's involved with the lowly people of the world and raises them up. The one who is so poor, the one who is so so needy and so impoverished, he raises him up to sit with princes. The woman who is barren with children, of no children, suddenly is the mother of many children. So that seems to be kind of the sentiment here. And if we look at it, scouted, uh, sketched out, we can see the following, and I think this is an accurate presentation of the parak. The parak is made up of three stanzas, each of them three psukim. At this, by the way, I'm at odds with my teacher, Rabbi Khan Samad, who thinks it's two stanzas, because from everything is in two, sorry, two halves. But I think it's, I think it's very clearly three even, um, uh, it's three even stanzas, each of three psukim. What is the theme of the first stanza? And this is how we start our halal on Pesach night. The theme of the first stanza is Shem Hashem. That is the, the theme throughout. We start by saying, Yuhor Avdeh Hashem, praise Shem Hashem. And their praise back is, God's name should be blessed forever, meaning at all times, and God's name should be praised from the the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, meaning in all places. So at all times and in all places, God's name should be both praised and blessed. Now, let's talk about praise and blessing as two different and again somewhat tense in stand in relation to each other modes of appreciating God. Praising God is praising God's transcendence, God's awesomeness, God's might, God's power, God's being really above this world. And blessing God is essentially acknowledging God's blessings, God's involvement with the world. So notice that the two phrases that the, we think that the, I, I'm proposing, that the audience has responded with, which is Yishem Adonai Mivorach, and then Mihulal, in inverse order is what they do. The next piece is Roman Mutashem, which is God's elevation, as it were. And they express, Ram al-Kogayim, God is lofty among, from, among the nations, way above the world. Allah Shemayim Fodo. And again, I'd like to suggest that the Levim are then responding. Mi and maybe the other group. And by the way, that is one phrase. Mi carries over to the next three. Who is like Hashem? Who is Magbila Shavet? Who goes up to sit down? Meaning goes rise up in the heavens to sit on his throne. And Mi who has to look down in order to see Bashamayim Varetz. And the final line is, as we saw in Halel Hagadol, it's God's humility, as it were. God's willingness to come down to this world, take care of the lowly, and bring them up. Now, by the way, this last passage should be very familiar if you know Sefer Shmuel. Because in Shmuel, Aleph, Perak, Bet, at the beginning, the first ten Sukim, Archanaz Tefillah, which has some of these same phrases. 
which is to turn things over, to take the lowly and bring them up. But the difference is that in Chana's tefillah, it's about Chana. It's not about Chana, it's about people and about people going through it there. Here, it's purely about God. It's focused on Hashem. That Hashem lifts up the poor, Hashem lifts up the indigent, brings them to sit with princes, takes the barren woman, makes her a, a mother of many children. And this, of course, is a great introduction to praising God for Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Because this is who we were. We were in the dirt. We were lowly. And Hashem, who's above it all, reached down and brought us up and turned us into princes and turned our childless women, who perhaps their children had been drowned, and turned them into Ema Banim Smecha, into joyous mothers of, um, of many children. And we end with Hallelujah. And this starts us off onto the road of Hallelujah. This is the introductory paragraph which starts us off onto the road for praising God for Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And of course, the next parak, which we'll deal with next week, which is titled Mitzayt Yisrael Mitzrayim, is focused really on that event, but as a mega event, a greater, greater, more um, meta-historic event than the one that we read about in Sefer Shemot or in Sefer Dvarim, as we will see uh, next week. In the meantime, uh, hopefully we're going to have a great week, and I hope that this has shed some... Uh, Valuable light onto the parak of uh, of Halal that we'll be reciting, Vespcha uve Sason.